You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Our guest today is our first repeat to doing three shows after Dave Berg, who did our very first three shows. So she's in a very special category. I think she gets a bathrobe like they do on Saturday Night Live <laughs> with the number three on it. Um, but since we don't buy bathrobes, it'll just have to be a tequila or a scotch or a cup of coffee when I come to Orlando. But here's the deal. Marnie Jamison Carey is the executive director of the Association of Independent Doctors. And she was an award-winning journalist, which really puts her in a very nice nexus for what got my attention. Marnie published an article in Medical Economics that called out the nonprofit hospitals. Marnie, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. I'm very honored. Yes. Well, if the honor's all ours. Now, you just got to be funny in front of the audience for the first 10 minutes, and then the show's all yours. <laughs> oh, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So no pressure. Anyway, Marnie, we're um, excited to have you back. The association is doing wonderful things by printing articles and calling out the nonprofits. Um, what I noticed in the article was how you mentioned they're buying box seats at sports games and they're entertaining in private jets and they're living large even though they have nonprofit in their title. And tell me about how you came to that conclusion. Well, as you know, uh, AID was founded by two certified public accountants, which puts our association in a unique category as well. A lot of medical groups are founded and led by physicians, but these are this is founded and led by business people who um, have been working in uh, in our metro here for gosh since the 80s and have seen firsthand what happens when hospitals buy up medical groups and consolidate. And we have two very large health systems in our community, and when the uh, CPAs were looking at the taxes and seeing what these uh, hospitals were doing with their funds, and you can look at their 990s, it's, um, it's kind of mind-boggling. So they were the ones that called it to my attention, and then I became much more sensitized to it, and it's something I've been watching over the years. Um, we have uh, billboards on our highways from the hospitals, and you know that's all our our money. You know that's all our that's all the money that they should have been paying in taxes. They're taking out billboards and skyboxes, and you know their names are on the sports arena panels, and that's a lot of money. And, and they have their own boxes, skyboxes, and as we pointed out, offshore bank accounts, extravagant galas, et cetera. So. It just doesn't seem like our nonprofits are behaving the way you would think a nonprofit should behave. So let's let's give them this. Let's say that the nonprofit galas, they're the best in Houston too, by the way. They're the best in San Antonio where I'm from, and I've lived in Dallas, and they're the best in Dallas. So I'm assuming that's sort of a given, that they're going to throw fabulous galas to raise money for this wing of the hospital or that you know, research in cancer. But let's also give them the fact that you mentioned in the article these high salaries, and you and I have a slight disagreement. I think it's okay to pay high salaries if that's competitive with the marketplace. 
But you're saying something entirely different in this article. You're saying they're getting exorbitant salaries. They're getting exorbitant bonuses. P putting money in offshore accounts doesn't sound like a nonprofit mission to me that has the word God in it. And I'm not understanding how, how are they getting away with this? Well, I think that they have just pushed a rule to its absolute limit, and they haven't been brought back. Basically, our nonprofits are behaving, and to put this in context for the listener, in the United States, we have about 5,000 hospitals, and about 3,900 of them or so are nonprofit. That means they pay no income tax, no property tax, no sales tax, and no tangible taxes. That's a lot of tax-free money that in a for-profit system would go back into the community would, would go back to the community in the way of taxes so nonprofits are supposed to give all that money back to the community in the way of lower cost care or free care or you know ways of really really helping the community out so they've done some workarounds and you know if you think about when nonprofits got started this was back in you know when the nuns were providing care for the sick and poor and they were able to not have to pay taxes because they were providing all this wonderful service. And then Medicare and Medicaid came on the scene in the 60s and the sick and poor and elderly got taken care of by government funding. And the hospitals said, gee, well, we don't wanna lose this tax exempt status, so we'll come up with other ways to give back to the community. And you know, they came up with you know some, some suggestions and they've just started to continually push the limit and their salaries are are equal to what a for-profit CEO makes. And I'm not against some in a for-profit company executives making high salaries, but in this case, in you know, to be a 501c3, this is straight from the IRS. It says no part of their net earnings is allowed to inure to the benefit of any private individual. This specifically includes earnings or excessive salaries. So define excessive. I don't know. I, I think that $25 million a year to run a nonprofit health system when healthcare is the leading cause of bankruptcy in our country is excessive. I think these, this money should go back into the community and help people who can't pay their bills. You know, it'd be one thing if these, hosp these hospitals were not putting liens on the houses of people who can't pay them. Well, like you always do, you, you bring up about seven issues with every sentence. So I want to unpack the first one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll try no to problem. No, this is great. The nonprofit, let's just do some simple math with accounting. Uh, gentlemen starting this, they could probably do this on their napkins. But if mm -hmm. you're taking away income taxes, corporate income taxes, that's going to be a big chunk of change. If you take away ad valorem property taxes, which is significant, and then you add in that they're getting hospital taxes back from the community, and then you throw in, they're not paying any type of um, county tax, city tax, sales tax. If you count in that uh, some of these folks are getting parsonages, so they're not even actually paying personal income taxes. And if you count in the fact that um, they get municipal bond fund access, now they can tap money in the community with the legal community and the accounting community uh, supporting them for hundreds of millions of dollars to build buildings. We're talking about somewhere in the range of 30 to 50% margin supplement because of this 5013C designation. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I, I think when I had one of the uh, economists, Zach Cooper out of Yale, says we subsidize not-for-profits to the tune of $30 billion annually in the form of tax exemptions. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think that's conservative, but that's still. And it's fair to say that these two nonprofits are likely the two biggest property owners in your county. Is that fair enough? And collectively, the largest employer, which brings up an important an important point. Which please, let's come back to the employer part. Okay, well, let's do that. So let's let's do that right now. The employers are not paying again taxes. Now they're going to be paying FICA and FUTA taxes into the employees' wages. That's not going away. But all of the local taxes that inure to the benefit of that hospital, they're not paying for the fire hose that's reaching their burning building. They're not paying for the police that's protecting their crime-ridden neighborhood they decided to go into. They're not paying for the overall oversight to the well-being of the trash and the streets and all of that. They're getting that as they're getting a free ride, yet they're spending a lot of money in the Caymans or wherever they're putting their money and packing it away so it's not obvious. Aren't nonprofits also declaring as part of their mission? They're writing off the full retail value of a patient, meaning if a patient responsibility is going to be, let's say, $1,500, but Medicaid accounts for $5,000 for that procedure, they're writing off the full $5,000, not what they actually collect. They're, they're, they're writing off retail billing, not wholesale what they're collecting. Is that right? Ron, it's way worse than that. <laughs> way, if, if they were writing off what Medicare allows, that would be one thing. But they write off what we call charge master prices. So they get to, these are prices nobody pays. So I'm gonna make the numbers up. But let's say Medicare would reimburse a hospital $5,000 to treat a patient who came in with a heart attack, okay? They can say the charge master price is $30,000. They can say whatever they want and they put that amount on their 990 and declare that, and that's how they get to zero out all their taxes. Okay, so they're, let's just say they're saying their, prop, their nonprofit mission's generating $100 million, $200 million in the local economy because they're not charging the poor. Yet, at the same time, they're taking those very same poor people and they're putting them into surprise billing situations, and they're chasing them down with their for-profit collection agencies. So let's, let's just throw out an example. Um, this is a very real example. When Dignity and CHI merged in February of last year, that created the largest nonprofit in America. They have 150,000 combined employees. 15,000 of those 150,000 are in a company that's called Conifer. Conifer is a, generates about 20, the high 20s to the low 30% margin to the overall bottom line. And they're one of the three largest in the country at revenue collection. What they're doing, to my own knowledge, is they're shaming and calling and texting and emailing now, the law allows, these patients that have patient responsibility that simply can't afford it. And they're a nonprofit, and they have God in their name. They invoke ethics in their name. Yet they're chasing down people that really are good Americans that otherwise fell into a bad health situation. And the very hospital that's generating the bill is actually the one that's hounding them. Is that true? That's true. That's happening all around the country. And there were some really great articles written about this up in Virginia about hospitals that were putting liens on patients' houses while they are not paying taxes and they're giving these exorbitant salaries to their executives. And 
having these fantastic um, boondoggle trips and, you know, some places have private jets and, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. And again, if you go back to the idea, the idea was that our nuns were providing, the nuns are gone, right? Back in the day, they did truly provide charitable care. I mean, it was the mission to take care of the sick and the poor who couldn't afford care. And for that, they didn't have to pay income taxes. Well, that seems really nice. But then that got exploited, as we discussed, and the executives came in and said, well, wow, let's look at, let's make sure we can make the most out of this not paying taxes thing, and, and off they ran with it, and it's just gotten way, way out of line. We have a player in our community, and I'm just, I just happen to know, without mentioning names, but um, they have $4 billion in unsecured assets sitting there. And not, and they're putting liens on people's houses and and having collections run after them right away. And they should be charging. They should be providing free care to the community for a year. I mean, that's a lot of money that that they have sitting there. And 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 people are struggling to, you know, they're not getting raises and all. I mean, one out of every five dollars that you and I make, Ron, and our kids make goes to pay health care. Healthcare costs have gone up 55% in the last 10 years. And it's going into these groups of people that are getting enormous salaries. It's completely top heavy and they're keeping us price blind and we can't fight because we don't have price transparency and we don't know where all the money's really going because it's really hard to tell. So we need, we need price transparency. We need hospitals that are behaving like for-profits to start either paying taxes or bringing their salaries in line with what a for-profit hospital salary should be, which my accountants would tell you, you know, no CEO of a nonprofit should make more than 10 times what the average salary is in their state. So let's pick a state. I live in Florida. I don't know what the average full-time wages, but let's say it's $50,000 for the average employee. No CEO of a nonprofit should make more than $500,000 a year. That's a good rule of thumb. Or they should pay taxes. Let's just bring it down to some real numbers. Hmm. Well, let's talk about uh, Maryland for a second. ProPublica, Marshall Allen did a story, and then later Kaiser News, which has nothing to do with Kaiser Permanente, did another story and $10,000 in um, medical debt that was being chased down got written off in less than six months. So what they did is they took these poor and they got embarrassed in front of the news. Yes. And it's just, these are national news organizations. The local news in Baltimore probably isn't gonna publish this because the hospitals are very powerful players in Baltimore. They're very important local community members. Their boards are the you know cream of the crop of local business and nonprofit and they're very, famous for their uh, power that they have over local news. But what they don't have is power over Kaiser or ProPublica. So unlike, you know, what maybe the role New York Times or LA Times or Washington Post or Wall Street Journal used to play where they would do these exposés, it's now these healthcare-centric press that are calling these guys out and they're making a difference. So there is actually write-offs happening because uh, they're being embarrassed to death. And I and I have seen that happen when I was a reporter at the Orlando Sentinel, and before that I was at the LA Times, by the way, but they're owned by the same Tribune Media um, Group. Uh, there was a, a woman I was I was writing a story about a woman who 
had a double mastectomy. She had insurance. She was self-employed. She went to the hospital. She gave them her insurance card. The person called up their insurance, and she said, what, what is my out-of-pocket going to be? They said $11,000. They wrote it on a piece of paper and handed it to her. It wasn't a form. It wasn't anything formal. It was just scratched out. She went through the procedure, no, um, no complications, came home and was recovering and got a bill for $60,000 and then immediately started getting calls from collections. And then she called me at the Sentinel and said, what am I supposed to do? So I started investigating this. I asked for, for see if I get a copy of the bill. Of course, I'm not allowed to get a copy of the bill. So we had to go through all these, you know, labyrinths to get uh, to get to it. And, you know, I was showing, I was starting to write the story. And as soon as I called the hospital to say, can you please explain to me why this bill went from X to Y? And you were putting a lien on this woman, this poor woman's home was trying to recover from her own cancer surgery they forgave the bill because they knew I was on it. So anyway, sometimes the me I didn't go forward with the story because, you know, that there was no story at that point. I really, you know, felt uncomfortable saying, and then they forgave the bill because they never really, you know, wanted to go on the record with all that. But I was help. I was glad I could help this woman, but um, I wish I could have come up with this, come out with the story. Well, great, great tale, great story. Um, and that's being done on a small scale, but there's no scalable way to help these folks that are, Good Americans, hardworking, you know, blue collar, white collar. They're just the mother of somebody, the sister of somebody, the daughter of somebody. They're getting hounded. Now the law allows them to be texted, emailed, called, because often it's not just the hospital billing. It's the out-of-network anesthesiologist. It's the out-of-network surgeon that got brought in that they didn't even vote on. It's the uh, out-of-network other specialists. So now they're not just getting bills from the hospital. They're getting from three or four or five different sources. And all they're asking for is this consolidated bill that they can look at and then make sense out of. And that takes months to get that. And then when you call the hospital, they say they refer you to the insurance carrier, which refers you back to the hospital. So now you're getting bounced around with no answers. And it's just, and by that time, you're now in collections. Welcome to the uh, phone calls and the emails and the shame. It's just uh, 45 million Americans we're talking about like this. It's true, and that's why we are teaming up with other organizations and fighting very, very hard for complete real-time price transparency that we want all patients to be able and consumers to be able to have access to prices for their care before they get it. And not estimates, not averages, because the folks, the hospitals and the insurance companies who want to keep us in the dark are pushing back really hard. There, there is a rule that came down from HHS, Health and Human Services, following the executive order in June of this year that says all hospitals have to post their prices by January 2021 in an easy, accessible way. And, of course, right away, the hospitals lined up and a bunch of hospital associations ganged up and are filing a lawsuit against that saying you can't do that. And there's another rule that's been proposed and HHS is about to agree, you know, see if they're going to put this through that would require all the insurance companies and hospitals to reveal their secret negotiated prices. Well, they don't want that either and they're they're lawyering up and trying to fight that. But we are fighting very, very hard on the side of price transparency. We, we being me and several other organizations like Patient Rights Advocate Group is doing a wonderful job. I was just up in D.C. with them last week fighting on this front. But what I would like to see and what I think is, is not far off is having an app in our hand where you, put, you can go to a site and you can say, 
colonoscopy around me, where, where can I go and get all the real prices in real time and make an appointment and also get not just how much it's going to cost, but the outcomes. So, you know, before you go in, you can shop for value and value is quality and cost, but you can't do that now. Now we'd get stuck with the bill after the, the services are done and they're non-refundable and non-negotiable. So we basically walk in with a blank check and that either sends us into bankruptcy court, gets us that surprise bill that you talked about, or it causes us to delay care. We decide not to go because we're afraid of what might happen. And that's just no way to have a health system. You're talking about two issues now. Two, issue number one is I believe the long-term strategy would be if we kick the can down the aisle as a hospital association, the American Hospital Association, we will eventually find a friendly administration that will drop the lawsuit with their attorney general, and then we're over. That's over. Game over. Another uh, strategy would be, well, we cannot divulge non-disclosure agreement uh, contractual obligations because now we're in violation of our contract. So. Does federal law trump that? I'm not a lawyer and I don't even care about that question, but the, that's their argument right now. And I would think my second question would be, do, don't you think it's fair for us to call our local hospital and ask them, are you participating in this black box game? And you're, are you participating in this lawsuit to keep the black box alive and well? And if so, why? Yeah, good luck getting a straight answer because a lot of them pay dues to the, say, the American Hospital Association, and the American Hospital Association is the one suing, so they're removed. They're like, well, I don't know what they do with my money, but you know, in it indirectly, they are in part of part of it. So um, it's it's a it's tricky to follow that train. But um, but I'll tell you this, that the American Hospital Association is one of the top spenders of lobbyists and has been for five years or more. Uh, they, last year, they paid $24 million to lobby Congress. And over the last 10 years, they've paid almost $400 million lobbying Congress to keep things just the way they are, to keep patients in the dark, to protect these um, this tax abuse, for instance, and a number of other things that continues to line the pockets of CEOs and allow them to have this fantastic life while they put uh, families into bankruptcy. If you throw in big pharma, big hospitals, big insurers, big medical devices, big middles like DBMs and uh, pharmacies, you're talking about a $565 million pool of money that on top of that 565 is doubled when you throw in dark money, which is totally legal. You can have dark money. So all the people in Washington that are shaking the money tree to get reelected are not going to kick the can well, they're not going to upset the medical community because if they do, they simply will not get reelected. It's almost that simple, don't you think? Well, here's here's something that's very uh, shocking, and that this issue of transparency, which gets back to it's, it's all and all and related to this taxes, but 88 percent, 88.12 percent of Americans would like to see real price transparency in healthcare. So why don't we have it? I was, heard, I was up in Washington last week, and I heard heard a campaign manager say, if you're a candidate, you step next to this issue and you smile really big. Because <laughs> right? if 88% of Americans want it, that's a no-brainer. This is a bipartisan ask, right? But the the congressmen just figure out a way to delay and stall and delay and stall because they are getting so much money from these groups that you just mentioned, and they um, they don't they don't want to stop that gravy train. So the way we approach it is we go over Congress and work with the administration, currently the Trump administration, and 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 Alex Azar at Health and Human Services and Seema Verma at CMS, 
and we work directly with those agencies to try to get them to enact rules within their purview to make a difference. And they have it baked into the law, a lot of the things that we would like to see happen. So they're not elected officials. I mean, Trump is obviously, but the administration is not. Therein lies our hope. Yeah. Secretary Azar and Commissioner Verma are exactly the two right people to go to. Um, so, you know, it's interesting when um, I see these, I call it fake outrage, when they call the pharmacy pharma heads and the hospital heads to testify in front of Congress. And you'll, you'll hear them say something like, how dare you? How dare you? How do you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror? I have this image that I talked about last time we spoke that they have a cartoon hand that's going back to the uh, lobbyist who's sitting in the back row of that hearing, making sure they're getting their 50,000 maximum they can get from, uh, you know, by the law with 10 different donors to make sure they're going to get reelected. Because they, I think what they're telling well, I think the game that's played is fake outrage. I don't think it's real. I don't think any of these bills stand a chance. And one of my favorite quotes from last year, Keith Smith, who started the Free Market Medical Association that you're very allied with and familiar with, said that don't expect the guy driving the getaway car to solve the heist. I love that quote. <laughs> I love Keith Smith, too. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all – there's a lot of faux fighting. You know, they pretend – and, you know, in fact, there are, this is a game that some lawmakers play. They put up a bill, like let's say it's for the getting rid of the abuse of the tax-exempt status and making, not, you know, holding nonprofit hospitals more accountable for the money that should come back into the community. And they may put up that bill and, and they'll fight for it and they'll show their constituents this is what we really believe in. And then it'll get just shy of the amount of votes in Congress that it needs and that's called faux fighting. The, the uh, folks who are putting it out know it won't pass. They don't even want it to pass because then they're going to lose the money from Blue Cross or whoever's, you know, filling their pockets. But they can put on a face to the community and their res their constituents that they're fighting hard for this. And and darn it, I couldn't get Congress to come my way. So there's <laughs> I have my eyes so opened. Yeah. So in Ohio, for instance, in Ohio, a couple years ago. Yeah, great story. Yeah. Uh-huh. There was a, do you know the story? Yeah, you told us last time, Kasich pocket vetoed something that had 100% support for transparency yep. in Ohio, but he wasn't getting reelected, didn't care anymore, wasn't going to run for president against Trump. So his career was over. And so he was in the pocket of the hospitals and the insurers. And so he basically said, y'all can present to you, every one of your constituencies, you fought hard for this, yet I'll pocket veto and you're protected, you're safe. I'll give you cover. Well, anyway, I mean, that was a, that was a case where 100% of the legislature actually voted for the transparency law. And, and I mean, when do you have 100% of, of congressmen and women voting for anything, right? This is, these are lawmakers, these are state legislators in Ohio, voted for price transparency. And um, Governor Kasich got, you know, got per buffaloed into throwing it into, throwing a big monkey wrench in it. It has never been enacted. It was passed in 2017. Yeah, never will get passed. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you focused on the regulators, not the politicians, since that seems to be a better point of change. Um, do you get excited about what you do every day, or is it sometimes frustrating? Oh, both. <laughs> both. Um, you know, sometimes people ask me how it's going. I'm like, it's straight uphill without oxygen. And then you get something, you know, something really heady happens, and you see that you're making a difference. And I know 
I wake up on the side of the angels every day. I'm I'm fighting for Americans. I'm fighting for to bring healthcare costs down and to get rid of the abuses and I have a lot of great people that I work with and, and believe in what I'm doing and I believe in what they're doing and I think we're on the right side of this thing. And I rather, I guess when I think, oh, I'm just going to give up because this is just not going to go our way, I can't live with myself. I'm like, I can't, how can you not do anything when you see the problem is so so blatantly bad and you do know what the solution could be and you could help achieve it and maybe make the world better for our children. Well, you've got a wonderful answer in your very own backyard right next to your convention center with Rosen Hotels and Rosen Care. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Harris Rosen. He's he's awesome. I, I've met him several times. I'm a huge fan and he's he's got he's got it figured out. He's doing it right. I think that I think that's really the answer, Marnie, is the market based solutions because Jamie Bateau will be on our show in a couple of weeks. And what Jamie's gonna tell us on this show is and by the way, I've researched this interview more than all the next 10 combined because it's quite interesting what they've done but by shaving almost half a billion dollars off their healthcare spend and pouring that into their community their crime rate has gone to zero the college graduation rate is as high as it'll ever get the employees that are there have zero turnover essentially other than normal traditional turnover but they are they are really turned the dial on healthcare by ignoring the bukas and, and focusing on primary care intensely focused which is what walmart has done to save a billion dollars um, by focusing on a direct relationship with the patients with their clinics and with their health care that they offer them free of charge they have now sidestepped the game and the game is not a tilted game board anymore they don't have loaded dice and they're allowed to deliver actually excellent care and smoke cessation and uh, pregnant pre-pregnancy well checks and all the things that go with a healthy population by basically becoming their own system, their own internal closed system. And it's, uh, they've tried to trot it out when they first started to the competitors, Marriott and Hilton and the others got scared. They're very comfortable with the brands and don't want to leave the brands. So instead they said, well, now we're going to just charge you a fee for whatever we save you. And that is actually where Rosen Care began and that's where it's taking and getting traction. So you've got a wonderful market-based solution right in your own backyard that is changing the dial on healthcare in a very big way. I love it, and I, I've often preached their story, as you just have. Uh, and one other thing that Mr. Rosen does is he doesn't – they have a lot of in, – in, in, in the hotel industry, in the hospitality industry, a lot of the people that come from overseas, that come from out of the country, they don't necessarily have cars um, – you know, it's hard for them to get around. And, you know, these are the house cleaners and what have you. He doesn't, he gets a shuttle to them. If they're sick, they, he brings them a shuttle and takes them to the clinic and they can go to the clinic and he shuttles them back. And if they do it during work hours, they don't have to, they don't get docked half a day for going to the doctors, which it would take you and me, you know, a half an hour appointment at the doctors where you, where you maybe see him for six minutes you spend four hours getting there, waiting, filling out papers, getting back. You know, that's half your day. So and he doesn't dock them for that. It's all taken care of. And it's so it's just so nice that he's taken. And he said he told me when I talked to him, I interviewed him for the Orlando Sentinel a couple like 2015, I think it was. I did a profile with him and and um, he took me all around his clinic and, and talked to me about helping. You know, some of these people that come from, like, say, Haiti, they've never seen a doctor. They've never seen a dentist. And they get dental care. They get health care. They get prenatal care. All of that's taken care of. Can you imagine? 
I mean, it's just, it's such such a great boost in their quality of life, and they're so grateful. I can speak firsthand. I followed their lead. I started a direct primary care relationship two years ago. My turnover last year was zero, where it used to be 20 or 30 percent. My um, my recruitment, I used to have to interview 60 to 80 MAs to find one medical assistant. Now, I, my first four interviews I had two weeks ago, I found four. We called the interviews off after number four. So we've got four players that are attracted to free health care, no copay, no deductible, no premium. And then we found that our productivity has gone way up and that our absenteeism is about half. And the beautiful thing is now I'm going around talking to my employees instead of about mission and values and what I call the constitution, which is, you know, lofty goals, you know, cult, you're supposed to have company culture by talking about this kind of junk. I'm now asking them about their kid's pink eye and their husband's sleep apnea. And I'm talking to them about getting on that free toll free line to make sure that they can get their care and not have to wait in line at some Medicaid clinic and, you know, presenteeism where they're not really focused because they're worried about their kid's flu and they don't know if they're going to be able to check them out at 3.30 and get in to see a doctor in time to make it by their hours. It's just all that's gone. That is just the friction is gone. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so I almost want to give you a chance to let us find you, the Association of Independent Doctors. How do people find aid online to join the movement? Yes, please do. We're at www.aid-us.org. And we'd love to have members. We're a 501c6 trade association. We'd like to welcome all doctors, dentists, all kinds of doctors. And we also have a level for health advocates and retired doctors and medical students to join at a lesser rate. And we, um, you know, the more members we have, the bigger our voice, the more resources we have to go and, and fight this battle. And it's, it's a big one. So uh, we welcome, welcome your support. So I love that you're an award-winning journalist and that you're now found your niche with a cross nexus of what you're great at, which is advocating, you know, doing the right thing for ju social justice, but you're also an excellent writer. And so you can put all these interesting concepts into nice, clear, plain English for the rest of us to understand. So thank you for that. Oh, bless you. That is that is what I, I try to do really, really well and really hard and every day. So thank you for noticing and appreciating that. You betcha. Okay, well, we'll get you back on the show like always. I think you're going to be one of our regular recurring guests. <laughs> I get a number four robe. <laughs> well, let's look at it. I gave you 30 minutes. And we took 45 because you have too many interesting things to say. And I didn't even get to unpack your first sentence, for God's sakes. <laughs> well, there's more where that came from. So let me know whenever I can help. Thank you, Marnie. And thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.